gonna get me a cane. Good lord. Well, everybody, we are back here once again with another episode of the Iron Man podcast, episode 187. Now, this is a very special episode because I know you guys have been asking for this one for quite some time. And I keep telling people it's hard for me to land, you know, some legendary big guests because I'm a I'm practically just a nobody. I, I've been only podcasting for like, I don't know, like two, three, three some odd years, you know, and everyone they love the Punisher. They're like, you know what? I, I love Mike Barron's work on the Punisher back in the day. I love him Mr. Frank Castle. I hate the way they turned him into some fucking gay, faggy soy boy that he looks like now. They're like, get Mike Barron on, because he's about to just go on a tyrant rant and destroy what they did to my boy Frank Castle. So, yeah, we actually have the legendary Mike Barron here. Uh, as everyone knows him, I mean, you, sir, I mean, quite literally have one of the biggest resumes I've ever had on this show. Like, just for starters, you worked for all the big three, or the one of the major indies as well. You've created, let's just, let's just go down the list of stuff you made. So, Big Comics, Florida Man, The Thin Blue Line, Private American, Bronze Star, I mean, Badger, Nexus, I mean, this, this is on and on, Star Wars, X-Wing, Action Comics, Atari Force, Batman Annuals, Justice League, just so much stuff. I mean, I mean, everyone, it's weird because people will just kind of narrow your career down. Oh, yeah, that, that guy's Punisher work is amazing. It's like, this guy's done like a buttload of shit, actually, you know? Like everyone, when I was growing up, when I was learning about Marvel characters, they would kind of highlight uh, your work on Punisher. So your work on Punisher like directly influenced people's minds about how to think about Mr. Frank Castle. Isn't that weird how you're just you know, just doing your thing with Punisher, and it's your Punisher work that it, that influences a lot of people, actually. And now, you have all these individuals out there, you know, Marvel is very big on, I don't know, ruining legacy characters, like making them into characters that they shouldn't be, actually, you know? And he got, he, he's, and as you guys know, uh, uh, the uh, up-to-date, um you know, character he's going to be doing is Gooding, the polymath, number one, for Air July's Ripaverse, but yeah, I just wanted to say, man, before we even start talking, uh, congratulations on all your success and, you know, thank you for all that you've done to tribute to the comic book industry. Anyone that tells you you didn't do anything or you're overrated or hacked, tell them to go fuck themselves and tell them to talk to me and I'll take care of them, actually, you know? Thank you, but, Joe. Uh, there are other creators whose resumes dwarf mine, but I'm proud of my work. So I'll have to ask you this. Looking back on all the stuff you've done, is there anything that you would change looking back now? Like if you go in a time machine, you could go back and rewrite some of these stories or make some alterations to like the stories or whatever. Would you, would you do that actually? Every time I look at something I've written, even if I've written it yesterday, I make changes. There's no question that if I went back, I'd make a lot of changes in the books I've written. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of the stories I, I, I don't think are very good. Uh, uh, but that was 30 years ago. And, and one of the bright spots in my life is I keep getting better as a writer. Mm -hmm. And for the last 10 years, I've had a clear understanding of story, what mm -hmm. constitutes story. And when you understand story, you seldom mm -hmm. make a wrong turn. Mm -hmm. And I'll have to ask you this because you've worked for Marvel, DC, you worked for all of them. How does it feel looking back now compared to how they're ran now because th th they were i wouldn't even say so much different thing because everything that i've learned about the comic industry throughout my life if you understand it was bad back then like people don't highlight those things people act like it was some sort of like freaking yellow brick road leading to like a bunch of hot ladies that are trying to sleep with you like no it do people not under do people remember the superman lawsuit that was happening years ago with warner brothers did you not mention the steve ditko estate and how marvel's been fucking with them for like on the last 10 years like it was never like rainbows and sunshines i i think it was it wasn't as bad as it is now but it wasn't this rainbow and sunshines place that people put that put on this pedestal that it was but the shit that mark wade's done 
I mean, literally, Tom McFarlane created his own shit because Marvel were like, you know what? Yeah, I know you're kind of making us a whole lot of money right now, but this is my character. You can go fuck yourself. And he's like, cool, I'll just go and be a millionaire. It's like, the guy, I forgot his name, he had to go up to the creators and he had to be like, you know what? If we pay them good, if we treat them good, I know I know what your character is, DC and Marvel, I know. Pay them good, they'll create you good stories. And they're like, you know what? You're not wrong. Like, what? Get your... You like buttloads of gas. <laughs> These people You're are talking insane, about man. guys like Eric July, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's true. I mean, all the exciting stories are now on the uh, the other side of the fence, and the fence is what div divides the traditional comic industry uh, from the the rebel comic industry. It's a bunch of us have left the traditional industry. Some of us not by choice. I mean, I. I uh, I kind of got eased out the door, like every writer does sooner or later, unless they're a legacy writer like Marv Wolfman uh, and certainly Marv's resume, Doris Mine. Uh, but I always wanted to do my own character. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Uh, and right now, the character is Florida Man. And the book is Florida Man versus Godzilla. And anybody who's read any of my Florida Man material knows that you will laugh out loud. And that's the thing, too, is because, um, you know, with the big two, they have this feeling that if you create something for them, that's theirs. All that legendary work you did for Marvel and DC, all that legendary work that Chuck Dixon did for them, they legitimately think Nightfall is theirs. Like, they actually created Nightfall. Well, I, it's my, my character. It's mine. You know, it's, I own it. And it's like, I, oh, God, such nepotistic, narcissistic way of thinking. You know, I have, I, I, I have no problem with Marvel or DC or the way they treated me. I created a couple of minor characters, such as Microchip for Punisher. Mm -hmm. And every time they've used uh, Microchip in a film on TV or in movies, they pay me. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they pay Chuck for Bane. So it's weird. So like, I know Bane was Bane was used for Nolan's movie, The Dark Knight Rises. Would they pay someone like him for that? I don't. I'm not sure how that works. So, like, if your character is using, like, a live-action appearance, like Frank Castle, who's in the Punisher show, everyone knows from Netflix, and the two movies, would they pay you for characters, for that iteration of those characters, right? Yes, they did. They paid me for a microchip. I didn't create Punisher. Mm. Yeah. So, looking at how Punisher's now, he's some, I don't know, what the fuck. I'm waiting for the Punisher to show up, because that's not Punisher. The way when, when, when you were working on that character versus where he's at now... It's so weird, isn't it? Oh, yeah. That's why I created Private American. Mm -hmm. Because uh, of what they did to the Punisher. I said, well, this isn't Punisher. This isn't what people want. Mm -hmm. and so I asked myself, what would Punisher be doing today if I were mm -hmm. writing him? And it seemed obvious that he'd be down on the southern border intercepting uh, pedophiles, people mm -hmm. traffickers, drug smugglers, and terrorists that have been pouring into our country like an out-of-control waterfall for years now. There are now 8 million undocumented immigrants in this country. Now, private American has no trouble with those who come here with, with good hearts for a better life. If he were in the same position, he'd do the same thing. Uh, but he lives in Texas. His name's Marco Zamora. He's a second-generation Cuban. And like so many second-generation immigrants, He's more patriotic than the average immigrant. Uh, and he can no longer ignore what's going on on his doorstep. So he goes down to the river every night and he waits for the human traffickers to come by. And the first time you see him, which is on the second page of Private American, he's interrupting a rapist in progress because every woman that crosses that border and every girl gets raped. That's a matter of fact. It's really weird because the way you bring that up, and it's true, it's all these like immigrants have been pouring into the country recently, you know, and er everyone is just under this mindset. They're all just really nice people. They wouldn't hurt a fly. And it's like, yeah, because I don't know if anyone's actually grown up in life. Not everyone who, I don't know, you're going to meet is going to have your best interests at heart. Actually, as Alfred said in The Dark Knight, some men just want to watch the world burn. Well, that's yeah. true. And for those of us who are interested in Private American, uh, you can order it at baroncomics.com or theprivateamerican.com. And it's 
interesting that you know you're doing your own character so let's start from the beginning origin story um how did you get into this stuff actually you mean how did i get into comics essentially yes you'd be given an autobiography at this point but you know yeah we, we got some time you know, like, you know like back was, in the day i always wanted to to write comics mm-hmm. my my first job out of college was smoking dope for the government i moved to boston and i answered an ad in the classified section of the boston phoenix looking for volunteers to live on a hospital ward for 30 days smoke government marijuana every day and take a battery of tests it was just like college so I went, and when I got out, I wrote up my experience and sold it to the Boston Phoenix. And soon they hired me as their music editor. And that's how I started my job as a professional writer. Uh, but I always wanted to write fiction. Fiction always. And I wanted to write novels. It just took me a long time to learn how to write novels. I broke into comics because I was in the right place at the right time. I was working at an insurance company when an editor called me and said, there's some guy down here trying to sell us his drawings and you should meet him. And he gave me the phone number. So I called Steve Rude and uh, we agreed to meet on the steps of the student union. And the moment he opened his portfolio, I gave up trying to draw. I was trying to draw professionally. So I said, dude, what do you want to do? He said, well, I want to do comics, but I can't write. What do you want to do? <laughs> and, and there we were. And we were in the right place at the right time because Capital City Distribution mm-hmm the second largest distributor of comics in the world at that time, decided to launch their own line. Uh, And they said they wanted superheroes. So I went home and I brainstormed Nexus. And I wrote the first 12 pages by drawing them out by hand. That's how I wrote comics for 20 years. I drew them out by hand. I'm not a great artist, Mm -hmm. but I'm good enough that anybody can see what I want. Mm -hmm. Editors loved it. Artists loved it for that reason. And it taught me so many invaluable lessons. One of the most important is how much weight can a page bear? And that means how many images, how many words can you put on that page before the weight is so great that the branch snaps? Mm -hmm. Uh, It also taught me about what happens next. And that's the most essential question in all fiction. The reader has to care before he turns the page. Well, how do you make the reader care? There are a thousand different ways. I'll just mention three. One, you create a fascinating character like Sherlock Holmes. Two, you create a fascinating scenario like Jurassic Park. Three, uh, you have a seductive narrative voice. Now, it's, that's harder to pull off in comics than it is in straight pose, but uh, some of us manage to do that. And that's that's just some of the ways. And for those who want to write, I say, if you're a writer, you write every day. Carry a notepad and pen with you at all times. Write down whatever crosses your mind. It's so how did you come across working for the actual compa companies themselves? Like, Well, after uh, we had launched Nexus followed by Badger, mm-hmm. uh, one day Carl Potts rung me up. He was an editor at Marvel. And he said, Mike, I want you to write The Punisher. Uh, I like your Badger comic, and I think you'd be a good fit. So that's how I came to write The Punisher from issue number one through issue number 65. I wrote it for five years. Yeah, because everyone they highlight your work that everyone highlights on that's got them into what the, you know just reading the Punisher. Like, okay, so for the Punisher, everyone always relates him to Batman for just normies do it because they're like, well, Batman doesn't kill, but I like the way that Punisher can go on that extra distance. And it's what I always tell people, and the people don't understand this. There's a reason why there's different characters for a reason. Brings a much different outlook on life than obviously Bruce does, right? And it's weird how people would want Batman to do what Punisher does when it's not even in his character to do that, right? That's true. But, you, but when you were working on Punisher, he he had that line. He he doesn't have really a code like that. He'll kill you. You're a well, uh, my, my approach You're to the Punisher. Uh, I approached it as a straight crime story, straight crime. And for three years, there were no flying saucers, time travel, Doc (laughs) Strange, or uh, uh, omniscient threats from outer space. There were a couple of uh, guest appearances by the Kingpin and Doc Doom, uh, but I worked them into in a a very realistic manner. And after three years, Carl got kicked upstairs and I got a new editor who was more of a gimmick guy. And uh, that's when uh, Punisher began to be integrated more in the Marvel Universe but nothing like happened after I left when it was Punisher, uh, 
saves Archie, Punisher kills the Marvel Universe, Punisher team ups, teams up with Conan. That goes against my philosophy of storytelling, which is I have to believe a story could be real, that it could actually happen before I enjoy it. And that doesn't mean I disregard uh, fantasy or science fiction. I love the Lord of the Rings movies. I believe in them utterly. Likewise, Alien and Aliens. I believe in those worlds completely because the people who created them believed them and figured them out to the last detail. And the important thing to remember about all these films is their first goal was to entertain. They had no other agenda. Now, today, you can't find any entertainment because the agenda gets in the way. I'm referring, of course, to Marvel and DC. Dude, I went and watched uh, Scream 6, and the fact that I didn't see any of that really in there, I was sitting there going like, this deja vu? Like, I, now, isn't it weird now? Because I think Camelot brought it up when he was talking to Ethan. Uh, it's weird to just see a, a traditional white couple together. You know, <laughs> they're trying to they're they're trying to normalize I know. just LG fucking lettuce bacon tomato I, people. Well, it's that's, just that's fine if it's credible because there are a lot of mixed race couples, including me and my wife. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, the reader can sense an agenda being shoved down their throat from a mile mm -hmm. away. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. and, and what you said back in the day really matter let's use a show like like you know like people love tsunami who like my age growing up they love dragon ball z i told people when you look at someone like goku you don't care about his race all you care is that he eats a lot of food he has gohan in the sun and he turns super saiyan that's all you care about you don't care about what akira toriyama's politics are it's crazy on anime no one if they barely even know the creator's names they don't even know what their politics are and i'm like we don't get i don't give one flying fuck is Goku turning into a Super Saiyan? That's cool. If Naruto throwing ninja stars, that's awesome. It's one, it's one Piece. Is pirates doing pirate stuff? That sounds great. And that's, but it's not that way now. Now, if a combo creator gets hooked to a project, they're like, oh, I wonder what he thinks about trans people. And so, Does that really matter to so them making a good story, you fucking imbecile? Holy mother God. Uh, <laughs> so by, by the way, uh, we have a, a, a trans person in Florida, man. Uh, he's a Jamaican that that Gary, Gary meets in the first issue, and he becomes a recurring character. But he's a very real character. I hmm. I wrote him as real, and the reason I made him trans was uh, because uh, the story demanded it, and that's the only reason. And when you're going through working on Punisher, what was the driving force of making? And writing that character, sorry, writing that character the way you were doing it. Well, I always ripped stories from the headlines. So uh, right. I had Punisher fighting drug gangs, uh, people traffickers, uh, a religious nut based on Jim Jones at one point, and crooked bankers. Uh, anybody who crossed the law, not minor shit like jaywalking or shoplifting, yeah. but major stuff that caused major mm -hmm. harm, attracted the Punisher's attention. Because he was every every act was he was avenging the death of his family at the hands of the mob. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that that's the way he was created. Uh, and if people obviously know that the Punisher is a patent uh, copy of Don Pendleton's The Executioner, if you don't know that, uh, you probably started reading just a couple of years ago. Uh, but that's where the Punisher comes from. When he first appeared in Spider-Man. He was a straight ripoff of Don Pendleton's The Executioner. It's crazy how, like, Spider-Man is probably bigger than the Marvel brand itself now. <laughs> it's so crazy, isn't it? Like, X-Men and Spider-Man have just, you know, stood the test of time. And it's really interesting how... I just don't get why they have this disdain for who Punisher is. Well, I just uh, don't yeah, get Chuck it. Chuck didn't explain it. And Chuck's written more Punisher stories than I have. Uh, Crazy. And of course, you know, and, and, and Chuck's world is just exploding. As you know, Chuck is doing a book for uh, Eric as well. Yeah, Alpha Core number one, yes. Yeah, it's <laughs> done. I can't wait to see it. Uh, mm -hmm. But um, Chuck did a, uh, he spoke to, I think it was bounding into comics, and it was mm -hmm. why Marvel hates the Punisher. Well, they hate him for all the reasons that people who have no knowledge of tradition or, or fix moral values hate him, that 
-hmm. that uh, he kills, he's icky, he, he personifies uh, uh, toxic masculinity <laughs> uh, and all those other things. So instead of just stopping the book, they mm -hmm. dragged him through hell. Uh, they gave him this ridiculous costume and hooked him up with ninjas. And then they had a fight with his dead wife. Mm. And, and Chuck laid it all out. Mm. And, and that's one of the reasons I created Private American. And by the way, uh, I'm wrapping up the script for Private American too. For those who, who uh, uh, would like to see that book, uh, it's available at theprivateamerican.com. I'm very proud of it. Uh, everybody who's read it has been blown away because it is what the Punisher should be, but isn't. Privateamerican.com? Okay. Theprivateamerican.com. That sounds interesting. Privateamerican.com. Yeah, because how long would you say you've been in like, okay, this is a weird one. So what was the last story or an issue that you wrote for any of the major two companies? Oh, I can't remember. It was, <laughs> it was, it was decades ago. So like I 2003 probably was the last time you wrote a story. No, it was before that. I could tell I was being eased out the door, but I don't blame anyone. What do you that. think you did? I didn't, I did nothing. Uh, uh, the problem is I didn't understand how to sustain a career, but like every other branch of the entertainment industry, uh, comics values youth above actual talent. Mm -hmm. uh, the difference is that in comics, uh, comics attract disturbed personalities out of all proportion to their readership. And you know what I mean. You've seen these guys on YouTube ranting and raving, and or they yeah. get into these Twitter fights that go on for months. Uh, yeah, because, that's what I was going to tell people too, man. These people, like uh, video games and comic book, uh, attract the most weirdest people on this planet like it just does like and in the in the and when you add in the layer of nerds to it because nerds are like introverts don't get a lot of girls they don't even shower properly you get so much problems and then some of them think they're liberal they don't even know what fucking liberal even means they think they're democrat and they're a socialist it's like dude you can barely take a shower let's hold on about politics take a shower first and let's start there before I, I, I get a job too you can get a job you can just you can just decide what politics you share you know, <laughs> nurses are crazy people, man. <laughs> well, I appreciate their passion. <laughs> I mean, I have that passion, too. Uh, I'm a creature of pop culture, just as you are. And, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we live not totally. I mean, I live for my family and, and to enjoy life. But we also live for uh, great literature, great films, great comics. That's what mm -hmm. we want. When we see a, a great movie uh, and it blows you away, you say, holy shit, that that movie's going to live forever and it's exciting and you want to see it again. I have that same feeling whenever I watch the thing. And I know that's a, re a remake from the original original. It's, it's a brilliant movie. It's John Carpenter's best movie. I wouldn't have mind watching it again. And I've seen it a half dozen times. Every time I watch it, I get a different feeling every single time. And I absolutely love it. It's probably one of it's what it's, if I ever did a top 10 movies of all time, that that's easily like top two. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> Oh God! And plus, we're friends. You've been around since like I forgot. What were you? Actually, you were born in. Like, I was 19... born in 1879 in Philadelphia. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm so old. I saw Hendrix. Good Lord! You've been alive for a long time. You were, yeah. you could be like, man, I was old enough to see Dirt come to fruition. Actually, <laughs> I did see the band Dirt. <laughs> oh my God! Like so, I'll just ask you this: looking at life compared to how you grew up versus now it, it it must be just a totally different world at this point now oh yeah i mean uh, you look at what's going on in education uh they've completely abandoned tradition the three r's reading writing and arithmetic and it, it's all about self-esteem now and and pushing the the feel good uh uh passion of the moment and i think a large of this part of this is due to the teachers unions it was mm -hmm. the teachers unions that insisted kids stay home for two years during the pandemic, which was disastrous for their development, mm -hmm. disastrous. And now they claim they didn't do it, but the history is there. It's all available to anybody who wants to go online and look. And uh, the schools have been invaded by social activists who have no interest in teaching kids how to think for themselves. Their whole interest is in jamming some agenda down their throats. 
And they've said this over and over mm -hmm. and over again. I've seen the videos a thousand times of blue-haired freaks saying, I'm here to teach these kids the value of communism, you know, or we're going to turn them into little activists. And that's not what school is supposed to be about. Uh, and as you know, the universities have are on the very verge of exploding. Uh, and and alumni um, are pulling So this back is what I thought when I was when I was in high school, when they try to get us to do like scholarships and stuff. I, I don't know, something in my mind long time ago when I was when I was you know growing up back in my day, you know, I know you, you can actually say that and people are gonna laugh. When I say that, people are like, you, you whippersnapper young guy. I was like, oh my goodness, I need a cane to get up in the morning sometimes and stretch because then you get older, your muscles just start hurting for some random reason. That's just part of getting old. It's just uh I always thought people always hated me when I said this though, because I though I'm in a part of California that's that can swing part more liberal or conservative, people always hated that I would bring up that university is kind of like a scam. I always felt like universities and insurance uh, companies were scams. Oh, you, you know, I worked at an insurance company. Uh, I, you know, I, I hate, I, I can't agree with you because we do need insurance at certain times, but yeah. I hate insurance. I, I resent that we have to have it. Yeah. My thing with insurance do. is like, why can't the car companies provide insurance? That way you're cutting out all these other middlemen, you know, but then that's going to cause its own level of, problems itself that's what i always wanted but i know that's never gonna happen obviously you know because i'm thinking to myself hey you go buy a car from this person can't they provide you the insurance there at their place but no uh, I yeah i can't <laughs> you know why i took my car in to get the battery re replaced the other day and and uh they did a good job and then they gave me the sheet we also recommend you change your uh automatic transmission and, and mm -hmm. brake fluid a uh, total estimated price eight hundred and fifty dollars. So I what called up an honest. I called up an honest mechanic I know, and I said, mm -hmm. uh, "Rod, they they want to change these fluids for eight hundred and fifty dollars." He said, "How many miles?" I said, seventy thousand. He says, "You don't need replacement. That's ridiculous." Mm -hmm. And then I took my car into Rod, and he showed me the automatic transmission fluid, and it was clean and it was up to the mark, and the mm -hmm. same with the brakes. So we theorize that these new car companies, every one of them, and this is the second instance I've had in this town, but every one of them instructs their, their salesmen and their uh, repair people say, see if you can aim for an extra $1,500 on whatever it is they bring in. And you know what's always weird to me is you go to school for like, maybe like five and you're like 18. So it's what, 13 years in school. And then after that, they want you to apply for government stuff to pay for school. It's also crazy because you can't inherently pay for tuition with how much money they would even give you, let's say, if you worked a part-time job. So it already – just right there, anyone who's listening, anyone who's listening will understand this. Already from the get-go, they are trying to put you in massive loads of debt, and you haven't done anything but just right. want to get an education that they're giving to you for free – for the last 13 years. So if they can subsidize all these public schools for for all these different states, there's a lot of public schools, all these different states, all these different places. Now they want you to pay all this money to universities. And the mindset people told me, it's kind of like pay back your dues. You know, if I give you 13 years for free, you kind of owe me that. And it's like, that would be a decent mindset to have if you were actually learning stuff in public school that actually mattered. I can somewhat justify that if I was learning some actual quality shit there, but it's not the case anymore. Hasn't been the case for many years, actually. No. So universities to me, it's just been a fucking scam almost since the beginning. But well, you know, it's I, a total scam now, especially these kids who owe a hundred thousand dollars for their interpretive dance degrees. Oh yeah, for their uh, biology degrees that are going to get jobs for. <laughs> Let's get back to comics here for a minute. Oh yeah, uh, because that's that's our passion. Uh, and uh, for the last couple of years, I've been on this amazing ride where we're crowdfunding our own books. And the uh, reaction has been mm -hmm. overwhelmingly positive, starting with the first Florida Man. Mm -hmm. uh, and after that, the next book was Thin Blue Line. Uh, and when I announced Thin Blue Line, uh, it's a pro-police book. And the reason I wrote a pro-police book was, one, I watched the riots during the summer of 2020. Right. Cities being burned to the ground, uh, thousands of small shop owners destroyed, murders. And out front, there was always some talking head explaining that these were mostly peaceful protests. Uh, and then politicians, people who had 
sworn an oath to uphold the Constitution, started calling for defunding the police. And it just struck me as insanity. It's like, have these people not learned anything from history? And the answer is no, because they've never been taught history. Uh, I know a number of police officers, and the ones I know are all good people, and they joined up to help others. We know there are bad cops. It's not yeah. about them. So I announced this book, and the left pounced, and uh, we submitted it to every major publisher, major publishers, and some of the responses were, fuck you, fuck the police, et cetera. We knew they were going to do that. Uh, and when people heard what was going on, they were a little pissed. And, and so uh, I got a much higher profile than I ever expected, and that book did very well. And now the second one is in the works. Uh, and, and the same with Private American. When I announced Private American, the Daily Coast, a far-left hate site, attacked me, and the headline was, Mike Barron releases another racist AF comic book. And it was written by a woman who's never read anything I've written, nothing. Uh, and you could tell by her descriptions of both Thin Blue Line and the Private American. Mm -hmm. uh, we looked into suing them. And we wrote them a letter, and I'll be happy to share that letter with you later. Yes, uh, that the Daily Coast just brushed us off because they have very deep pockets. I think, uh, you know, Soros money is pouring into their pockets. And they said, well, they can't sue us. We can outlast them. He's just a comic creator. He doesn't have money to, for a long, drawn-out uh, litigation. And it's true. I didn't. But, uh, again, they're attacking us, backfired. Because every mm -hmm. time that happens, we monetize the book. People who had never heard of it before heard of it. And then they heard about what Daily Coast had done and said, I'm going to back this book. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because you're in Florida. So most no. people would be like, you know. I'm in Colorado. Colorado. Oh my goodness. My brain is fried. But I've been to Florida many times. Mm-hmm. It's because have so like looking at just how you just how you are in Colorado with that and how that happened to you is so odd because there have been many stories of similar something like that, not comic book wise, happening. Where like people go to the media to try and tell their side of the story, but they just don't want to hear it. They no. only want to push that side of the story. It's sure. like, what's what about being objective? What about just being fair in journalism anymore? Like, what happened to that? You know? Well, that's that's journalists. They they don't dare call themselves journalists. I call them the lick spittle. <laughs> hey, are you good enough to take those Florida man covers and show them on the screen? Because I can barely operate this computer. Yeah, sure. I'll just put you on the solo layout so you can show them, actually. <laughs> Give me one sec. Florida man. I'm pretty sure I have the website right here. Give me one second. Okay, so when that happened, you had, you had all, all this pouring support from all these different people. How was that feeling like? actually getting all that support and you, you, oh, you like very gratifying the uh, national association of police interviewed me uh fox news picked it up i did a segment on them um i was able to meet a lot of great people and allies who who came to my defense normally if you type, type in a florida man <laughs> oh i sent you the images on facebook I oh, you did? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay, give me one second. Yeah, everyone who doesn't know, I just woke up probably like about 30 minutes ago, so my brain is probably pretty fried. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, the only advantage living on the West Coast is you can call people on the East Coast as soon as you get out. <laughs> you guys are in the future, man. I don't know how you guys do it, actually. Oh, my goodness. You see him? This, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get you right now. Holy crap. Uh, uh, give me one second here. I couldn't do it. Right here, Mr. Uh, Florida Man versus Hogzilla cover art. Yeah, that's looks that's great. the campaign page. And here are the images you wanted me to show. Right here. Let's see. There you go. Pat Broderick did that cover, and as you know, we just released Bronze Star that Pat Broderick drew. And it's the greatest work of his career. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. That looks looks great. Holy yeah, I love crap. that. And that was the That's cover Matt art. Weldon's wraparound cover for the new mm -hmm. book. 
Uh-huh. That looks awesome. Yeah. Holy and crap. Godzilla. Adam, Adam like Miller it. did that illustration. Adam is a former cop. Once uh, I did Thin Blue Line, I started to hear from police officers all over the country who were uh, grateful for somebody showing uh, them a little respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'd be surprised how many police officers want to write and want to illustrate, uh, and some do a very good job of it. You know, Joe Jusco is a is a former police officer. It's crazy you bring up cops. I actually wanted to be a cop at one point in my life. I actually uh, had a, there's a program in town where you can almost be a cop. And uh, the, there was one thing that the cop said that I'll never forget, which is when you're in trouble, who do you call? And we all asked you guys. He was like, you're right. And then uh, what happens? We're like, we didn't know because our minds hadn't processed the bullshit that the ma- mainstream media had been telling us. So what I'm getting at, people, when you call the cops when you're in trouble, well, it's like cops kind of protect everyone, right? And they also get the biggest shit too, right? It's it's crazy, man. Cops are very disrespectful. And I get there's, there's bad cops out there too, and that just ruins everyone. Well, now, unfortunately, the police have been eroded by this defund the police movement and the overwhelming hostility of the left. Mm-hmm. So most big city police departments, especially those that are ruled by Democrats, are down to skeleton forces that uh, they can't respond to every call. They can't even respond to life and death calls. They just don't have the personnel. And they're very reluctant to get involved because you see what happens when police get involved and yeah. the entire lick spittle turns on them and accuses them of brutality or whatever. Uh, and who needs it? And and a lot of them are going to jail. I'm not saying they don't deserve to go to jail. Some do, but some don't. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's just a, a a bum rush. And these are your main covers: main cover A, B, C, D. Yep. I don't know. I don't know which one I choose because uh, which one do I choose? Because it's saying that Eric had a problem with yesterday with Alpha Cry. I couldn't even choose. I was like, they all just look really good. I'm kind of torn between these two right here, actually. Uh, the one Lord. in the upper right-hand corner, uh, that's Crystal, uh, Crystal Duba, Gary's wife. She's a professional mm-hmm. wrestler, uh, and although she cannot go by this name, she earned the title Black Dildo. <laughs> and if oh you want to know how she earned it, you have to get the first book. But they can't call her Black Dildo on the marquee for obvious reasons, so they right. call her Steely Daniel. And, and every time the, the announcer says, and now Steely Daniel. The whole audience starts <laughs> chanting, Black Dildo, Black Dildo. Campaign ends January 5th, 2024. Yo, oh my God. What is with you guys and raising all these buttloads of money? Holy crap. Oh, no, I, We're just getting started. Yeah, I mean, yeah, congratulations, man. It's, you know, people are, you know, struggling to find their audience right now. As people, you know, someone like, like yourself, you've been doing this for, I don't know, almost your entire life. So just getting a fan base for that is just Estimate of time, you know, it's well, not going to be some overnight Crowdfunding thing. is new to me. My wife, Ann, ran a couple of successful crowdfunders for me previously mm-hmm. in which uh, we uh, financed the printing of a Nexus novel and a Badger novel and a comic book called Q-Ball. Uh, but then I hooked up with Chris Brawley, mm-hmm. uh, who is the man behind BleedingFool.com. Uh, and Chris has taken over my campaigns. He's a professional videographer. And that's one of the reasons that our videos are so good. Here's the Indiegogo campaign, Florida Man versus Hogzilla 2. So obviously I would ask, because uh, I ask people all this stuff when they come on and bring on their stuff, is there websites that people can go and buy the first issues of these books if they wanted to get in? There is, uh, baroncomics.com. Okay, gotcha. And can you, can you play video? Yes, sir. Uh, let me uh, take this down really quickly, and uh, let me put up the audio really quickly. Share audio. All right. Uh, actually, the YouTube one right here. Uh, right here. Okay. Hold on one sec. What am I doing? Right. My brain's frying. Yeah, yeah. There we go. There is a creature in the swamps who has survived thousands of years of evolution. It lives to destroy. A mindless eating machine. The beast they call Hogzilla. 
After his latest get-rich scheme goes sideways, Gary Duba, the quintessential Florida man, ends up with a stash of somebody's high-end memorabilia. His gal Crystal is on probation and preparing for the fight of her life, squaring off against Australia's queen of combat. Delilah's got her back in training, staying off rich foods and the nose candy. Meanwhile, Gary and his best friend Floyd have been hired to wrangle a massive, abnormally aggressive feral hog that's terrorizing the swamp and wrecking Gary's old neighborhood. Can they bag the elusive monster swine without destroying the Sunshine State? Reserve your copy of Florida Man vs. Hogzilla. Available on Indiegogo. We're bringing back funny books, y'all. That was, that was amazing. Don't pay attention to my killer oldie music that I that I like listening to. Oh, yeah. uh, just no, that reminded me of uh, I forgot what type of feeling that gave me, but there are certain movies I know that I've watched throughout my life where I I could I got the kind of feel you're going for right right there. Yeah, and that, that was awesome. That and that's what the campaign should be, you know, because. If people, like you're saying, when you're getting into this stuff, if you give them a product to be excited for, they'll obviously put their money into it. That's a lot right. of people, will, when they're first starting now, they're not giving people a product to be excited for. Yeah. Your campaigns are lacking. The trailers are lacking. You know, you gotta, it, it's going to take some extra time, but you got to put things together. Use that time before you launch to make sure everything looks presentable, you know, and desirable that you're like, okay. Let's get in because that just probably was the best trailer I've seen. And out of all these people that have come on, honestly, it was amazing. Interior yeah, art looks you. great. We're very proud of them. Yeah, interior art looks great. The sequencing looks great. It has that nice, uh, let's say, southern kind of cowboy style feel to it. You know, now yeah. it, it, if he's having sex with this girl in the books, and you're looks like, okay, I get it. It's kind of like it's got that rednecky feel to it, you know. <laughs> Well, oh, it's on the channel, but it's in the book. Oh God! Okay, and that was awesome. That was that was great. And just you know, I like seeing that stuff for uh for books. Actually, you know, it's uh I want people to be genuinely enthusiastic about like the products once again. Because what was the last time? I don't know, this would be a doozy for you. What was the last time you were like genuinely excited for something like? in this kind of sphere, like a book or a movie or a well, show. I, I have a high level enthusiasm because there's, there's stuff that I want to see. Like I just watched 1883, uh, Taylor Sheridan's prequel to Yellowstone. Man, it blew me away. Uh, mm -hmm. It was so realistic and grim, but it's absolutely gripping. And it's gripping because he draws you in these, you care about these characters. Mm -hmm. uh, I have never seen a TV show that was so realistic and it's about the wagon trains moving west in 1883, uh, and it's not a happy story. I mean, there's a lot of humor in it. Another series I watched recently, which I can't praise highly enough, is The Unit. It's about a special military force that answers only to the president. It stars Dennis Haysbert, uh, and mm -hmm. it was created by David Mamet. David Mamet's a famous playwright. He also wrote the scripts for The Untouchables, uh, State and Maine, uh, The Edge. He's a brilliant writer. Uh, and the unit is four seasons long. And every episode will grab you by the throat. It's so realistic. I don't understand how they were able to do it. Because it's all over the world. There's scenes in Thailand. There are scenes in Germany. There are scenes in the Middle East. And you're looking at this and you say, holy shit, they must have gone there to film this. Because you don't get these backgrounds in Southern California. It's just astonishing. Uh, and a couple of movies I've seen recently I'd like to recommend is uh, Let Him Go, which stars Kevin Costner and Diane Lane, one of the best thrillers I've ever seen. It's set in the early 60s. Uh, and they're a couple living in Montana whose uh, daughter-in-law remarries uh, a complete creep and starts abusing the daughter-in-law and her five-year-old son. So they have to go to North Dakota to get him back. Uh, there's also a movie called The Rider, about a uh, a rodeo uh, competitor recovering from a brain injury. Uh, I know that doesn't sound compelling, but it absolutely is. You just can't take your eyes away from that. And, and that's, oh, uh, it's, 
storytelling is so vital in this space too, you know, because I, I think people have to understand when it comes to like more obscure, you know, indie titles or just people doing their own thing, storytelling has to be key, you know, because yes, throughout this word of mouth, I've listened to people, word of mouth is what's carried a lot of stories throughout the years. Absolutely. You know? Like just a, like uh, Kingdom, like Watchmen. Everyone knows Watchmen. Everyone talks about Watchmen. Like, do you see as we're speaking, that's a great one of the conversation is talking about, you know, fucking Watchmen. I know you had your problems with uh, Mark Wade and Alan Moore, but people talk about their work. <laughs> I have no problem with Alan Moore. In fact, when I went to England years ago, Alan Moore was at the train station waiting to greet me. Really? Okay. Yeah. Mm. So I, I know you mentioned this on one of uh, Pops's uh, shows. Have you ever had any bad altercations with Mark Wade? I know everyone can have their own opinions about that guy, actually. We've crossed swords. <laughs> he's, a, it, he's one of those people where I'm like, I'll just consume your work. You on Twitter, you are your politics. Yeah, I'm not. Just just write books. Just just do that, please. <laughs> Good Lord. That's, I should have been that way with so many other creators, honestly. I was like, you know what? They wrote a great book. They might be a great person. No, that's not how that works. Because uh, Mark Hamill's a pretty big example of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I liked him until he started popping off about every social issue. I don't uh, know why actors do that. They're alienating half their audience. Do you really think they actually believe that stuff? Or, you don't, oh, yeah. or you, do you think they're doing it just because it's just no. their... No. no, they believe it. And because that's modern entertainment today. If you want to work in the industry, you have to hold the far left views that they promulgate. You have mm -hmm. to kiss the ring. You have to propagate those, those views on a daily basis. Uh, the virtue signal is now more important than life itself. And if you doubt mm -hmm. it, just... Go to these people's uh, uh, social media pages and look what they say every day. Virtue signal, virtue signal. Look at me. I'm such a good person. I care so very much. Well, not only is that offensive, but it violates the show don't rule law. Mm -hmm. I mean, the show don't tell. Show don't tell. That's the second most important rule in storytelling. Show don't tell. That means if you want to help the... the uh, uh, people who are, are hungry... Go volunteer at a soup kitchen, but don't drag a camera crew along to announce what you're doing and don't post on social media. Look at me. I'm at this soup kitchen. I've been on my feet for, for four hours helping these poor people. I see that all the time. And I say, show, don't tell. That applies to life itself. You know, you don't go around telling people what a good person you are. You show them through your actions. And that's what I uh, always have thought too. Like, why do people have to feel like the need? Like, maybe, maybe you have like people on like Facebook and stuff like that that do this, where they'll be like, "Hey, I just gave a home." They'll, they'll, they'll post like, "I just gave a homeless man a hundred bucks." Why did you but, tell you me know, that? I, I don't mind that if I know those people and I have personal experience and they're good people. I'll, I'll cut them some slack. I wouldn't yeah. do it, but, but that's fine. I mean, mm -hmm. some uh, I have very good friends in comics who who talk about the good deeds that they do. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but the writers at least are able to make them interesting in their descriptions. Oh yeah, <laughs> like some of the best comics that I've man throughout the years. It's weird because uh, growing up, you know, it's crazy. I told you the story. They keep they get blown away by how I learned about these characters. So I didn't have a comic book shop growing up around me. And people are like, "What's it? That's just certain towns just don't have them." So we would only get comic books through a newspaper. My mom was right. subscribed to a newspaper, so we would get like Spider Man comics every week so i had like first appearances of lizard doc ock i mean electro oh god so many and then this was also around the time period that spider-man 3 had came out the Tobey Maguire trilogy of movies and that was really really big then and before that the other book that i you would know what this book was it was this little encyclopedia book based around spider-man's villains it was just i forgot who i forgot who, who, who did it it was the art where he's jumping like this and he's doing the, the web sling. Everyone knows what else I'm bringing up. I, I had that book growing up. I was at the library one time. I got the huge Spider-Man encyclopedia. And I was like, I, I love this so Spider-Man. He's always my favorite Marvel hero. I, I, I love but I love the characters since I was a little kid. Spider-Man animated series and all that stuff. So I didn't have books growing up. So the, the best way I learned about the characters was we had this ghetto phone that you could put minutes on. And it would give you internet access. So I would just go up and just look up characters on the internet, read about their bios and descriptions, watch videos based around them. I did the, uh, So when I was at, when I was at school, lunch break, all right, Batman, what's going on with this guy now? I would just scroll down to find what's the newest story because I didn't have, I have a shop and I have any money is the best way to learn about the character. So I learned 
So one day I would do like DC, one day Marvel. I've learned about so many effing characters. Holy crap. Like, and I, I didn't own my first physical book that I bought my own self until like DC Rebirth. But I knew all the stuff that was happening through all the, all the videos I was watching, all the stuff that I was paying attention to. And just, you know, I would hope the industry realizes, you know, can we, can we not be on fire anymore? You, you know? Do you still we, have your books? No. Okay, so the original ones? I lost them in a house fire, actually. We had a house fire, and I lost my original stuff. I, we, I'm sorry to hear it. Yeah, and so my I have books now. All the stuff's over there. So it's not the, my main part of my house. I have another part of it there. Um, you know, I just, I found Eric's Ripperverse books, guys. I did. I found him. Nice. I, so I'm going to read these uh, very soon. Do you remember these? This is EVS's Warts and All yep. uh, book, actually. I have it right there. I found them. I couldn't find them for a long time. I was like, those guys are putting out entertaining books. And that's the secret. For people who want to know, this is what uh, Private American looks like. Oh, that looks amazing. Hold on. Let me yeah, pull it up. Three covers. But that this is what really you get. Good. The book is printed on really heavy paper. You you could knock somebody unconscious with this book. <laughs> and to be fair, since you're getting older, someone tries messing with you. Get off my lawn. <laughs> knock them out with that book. That's my line. <laughs> oh god so how does it feel to create your own characters and see yeah, them it feels great and, and people say what character would you most like to write and, and I, I there's no other answer I, I would rather write my own characters than somebody else's because uh, i've already put in the work i've created nexus and badger their worlds are vast uh and it would take you a long time to catch up but they i never grow bored with them in fact I'm planning a major Badger graphic novel next year uh, that's going to blow people away. Badger is a nexus. Those are the creators you created. Everyone knows your work on Punisher, but you wrote for those stories. Badger and I, nexus were creators you created, like with a it, Florida man, uh, yeah. Thin Blue Line, Private course, American. Of course, nexus would not be the success he is uh, without Steve Rude's art and, and Steve faithfully drew the book for about uh, 30 years. That's, oh, man, just when you mention things like that, it hurts because that's a lot. Oh, my God. Holy crap. That looks great. Gosh. That's a book dude put out himself. It's just a reprint of the origin. And mm -hmm. for those who aren't familiar with Steve Rude's work, uh, he's one of the greatest illustrators of all time. This is the last book we put out. This is... Bronze Star with Pat Broderick. It's a mm -hmm. supernatural Western. For those who are familiar with Pat Broderick, this is the greatest work of his career. And there's no argument about that. The people who have seen this have been blown away. And yeah. all these books are available at, at baroncomics.com. You have Florida Man, Thin Blue Line, Private American, Bronze Star. And obviously, Florida Man is going to get its uh, second issue coming up. And yeah. just your. Man, you you just have a long resume. Good lord! <laughs> I should point out that the Florida Man is done. It's illustrated. It's colored. It's lettered. It's at the printer. Mm -hmm. uh, we always deliver on time, or at least we have. Uh, uh, since I hooked up with Chris Brawley, mm -hmm. um, and after that, we're going to launch an entirely new Nexus. It's illustrated by Kelsey Shannon. Okay. And, and for those who have seen the art, they have been blown away as well. Mm. It's not the dude. It's Kelsey. But Kelsey's art mm -hmm. uh, is phenomenal. Let me show you. I'll just show you one page here. No problem. And uh, guys, there is enthusiastic readers that want to be involved with comic books. Obviously, you know, there's no shortage of people that want to get into new stories based around new characters and new visions actually you know you do have to go out and seek them but they are out there that's why we have shows like these where you can obviously highlight these uh different characters that exist out there it's just kind of okay, how Joe, look in your facebook uh direct message yeah let me go to it right now and here we go uh, no people i'm not gonna Am I, am I gonna watch the Marvel? So I, I'd actually rather, you know, save my money. But then again, if I want to torture myself, maybe I'll talk to my wife. I'm just kidding. Holy crap! <laughs> Holy crap! Uh, let me bring it up right now. Share screen. This is the picture, right? That's Kelsey Shannon's work. Ooh. 
Oh, goodness. You have some very talented people behind you. Holy yeah, crap. Yeah, I'm very excited about Kelsey. And he's not just doing uh, that book, which is called Triplets. He's doing another book called uh, Scourge. Uh, they're both Nexus stories, and they're some of the best stories I've ever written. And when you're when, do you have do you still go to like comic book shops at all anymore? Occasionally. Do the retailers <laughs> I would say this, the store owners, when you when they see you and, and you're looking around like, huh, stuff's not selling. <laughs> oh, and that's so bad. I, I don't want stuff to not sell. You know, I, I you know, people meme on like having stacks of books that don't sell. I hate that. I actually don't like that at all. Me too. Like I, it just sucks because that means that you you so like today's Wednesday, right? It's comic book shop day. So I'm I'm gonna go on, I gotta buy my books off eBay because I'm a store around me. And it's something that I tell people, why don't these guys go to the shops in your area? Just put a random executive out there, have them walk around, talk to the nerds, see what characters they're interested in. See what stories they're liking. See what they're actually buying. Not what they say they're going to buy. What they're actually buying with their own money. Go to the comic book shops. Talk to the owners. Dude, they release all these titles every week between all these big, even Image, Dark Horse. There's all the other smaller guys with, you know, outside of Marvel and DC as well. Marvel and DC themselves, a lot of titles. What are people actually buying? I've never well, understood here's, that here's model. The problem is that mm -hmm. very few of these books are actually entertaining. Very few. That's and true. That from Marvel yeah. and DC. Uh, mm -hmm. You got to build heat around a title. Uh, you got to get people excited. Mm -hmm. uh, they got to say, "Holy shit, I want to read that." And then when they get done reading it, they want you want them to say, "Holy shit, where's where's the next one?" Uh, I think that those of us in Comics Gate Kings are doing that. And it's really interesting because you were you because you would know this story, this narrative. Because you know, people when they talk about comic history, dude, <laughs> I think people sometimes. They'll say something, but they don't provide any context to it. So people are like, why would you need to provide context if the narrative's there? Guys, okay, you provide context because that would give you the idea of the story that really existed, not the version that someone's trying to tell you. So when someone says, well, uh, Comics Gate is similar to like Image when a bunch of the artists left, you know, and they want to do their own thing. It's like, no, it's kind of not the same. No. You know, what this comes down to is, what is your story about? And this is a mm -hmm. lesson I teach to all those who who want to learn how to write. Is mm -hmm. When somebody asks you that question, you have to be prepared in advance. Mm -hmm. You can't just do it off the cuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and by that, I mean, you have to write something about the story. Uh, the whole purpose of that blurb, of what is your story about? The answer, the whole purpose of the answer is to get the person to say, Holy shit, where do I get the book? And if you want to know what I mean, go to Amazon and look at the publisher's descriptions of uh, certain crime thrillers. I always recommend John D. McDonald's Deep Blue Goodbye, uh, because like so many writers, I'm writing today because of John D. McDonald. He was a great writer, pulp writer in the 60s and 70s. Most people haven't heard of him, but they've heard of one of his books, Cape Fear, which has been in, made into movies twice. Uh, Martin Scorsese directed the second one. Uh, yeah, with that, you see, Florida Man is my most popular book by far. Everyone knows you now for Florida Man. Everyone just knows you now because of this guy. It's crazy. It's either pretty much Mike Barron, it's either Punisher, or it's either Florida Man. It's like, okay. I mean, I, it's the thing. Yeah, I'd rather you be known for too. something. It's, I, I, it's me too. Yeah. I, I think. I'd rather you be known for something than nothing. That's the worst feeling is being an author or a writer and being known for nothing. That's just, that would suck, actually. I oh, you can have the book right here. writers that, that I thought were brilliant who couldn't make a go of it. They're called, the publisher calls mid-list writers, which mm -hmm. means they don't hit the bestseller lists. Uh, and it's unfortunate. And the reason is we're in a tectonic shift here with all media, all entertainment media, is in free fall. They don't know whether to shit or go blind. The internet has upset everything. For one thing, you can now order an audio book over the internet. You can order a movie over the internet and mm -hmm. you can you can save it on your computer until the giant electromagnetic pulse hits and then you lose everything, which is why I insist on physical copies. Uh, oh, I decry yeah, the sure. death of print media. I hate it. 
because, uh, you know, when you read a comic or a magazine and you come to an ad, you just turn the page. But on the Internet, you can't do that. The ads keep creeping in like a foreign army, one from the top, one from the side, one from the bottom. The moment you get rid of one, another one starts creeping in. And nobody likes it. Most of the ads are are tasteless and offensive. And the only thing, and I've talked this over with a lot of people, and they all feel the same way. They say, when I see that ad, I note the manufacturer and I promise to never support them. Uh, and I wish, I, I know advertising is important and keeps a lot of these sites alive, uh, but they have to find a way to make those ads entertaining in and of themselves, and they're not. It's, yeah, because people don't understand, those ads that you guys see playing on your browser, that is kind of what keeps these sites making money. And people and they hope this is their idea they hope that you never install ad blocker because they wouldn't get any money that's all it is it's literally just they're banking on people being so not aware of their surroundings of what they're looking at on the internet so they could just make a whole lot of money off of you <laughs> and to be fair people are very uh let's say nonchalant about a lot of things in life where you just if you bring it up to them to the, for the first time they're just like huh i didn't know what's going on <laughs> happens all the time actually but when you're when you have all these characters now, I mean, how do you not um, spread your spread yourself too thin with all your characters? Actually, well, yeah, I, I I don't I don't bite off more than I can chew. But the trick with any really creative person is to have four or five projects going at once, because when you run into a dead end on one, you just shift gears into another. It puts you in a completely different uh, mind frame, so you can uh, uh, think up new ideas to get the story forward. Mm -hmm. Now, what is story? And I, I mentioned it before. It's one, two, three. It's it's a fascinating character. It's an interesting premise. It's a, a a seductive narrative voice. But there's so many other things that can be story too. Uh, and the the bottom line is, does it entertain? Uh, how can you make it entertaining? And a good writer makes every part of the book entertaining. Uh, and, and that's my goal: is I don't want any dead spots in anything I write. I don't mm -hmm. want a wasted word or a wasted panel. Everything I put down on that page is designed to uh, advance the story and entertain. And after that point, Florida man, multiverse. Now you're gonna make California man. That's how it's gonna work. <laughs> if you if you made California man from your your lens, oh my goodness, just the amount of coping and seething from the people that didn't like you. Well, you know, insane. if I were to do California, man, it would be about a, a guy trying to leave the state. <laughs> that, to be fair, that's not a bad story idea. Now you don't no, think about it. Yeah, yeah. And every time he turns around, the government is setting up a roadblock. <laughs> it's going to be an exit fee. And they got to pay his estimated income tax for the next five years before they'll let him go or something. Gavin Newsom definitely is the main villain not even playing with that one. They, he, it could be Newsom Gavin. That way it's not yeah, like a direct a joke. You know, that's a guy who can't do anything. He doesn't belong in any position of responsibility. No, it's like in the comping industry, man. It's called failing upwards. Right. How it works now right. these days. If you, the right. thing is, when I was younger, and like you failed in your entertainment business, whether it be this or any other movies, TV, you got fired. That's how it works. This is an entertainment business if you're not entertaining people and your product does not produce produce the results you're out that's how well, it works. we're now living in a soft dictatorship i call them tapeworms they're not politicians they're tapeworms but they've rigged it so that they cannot be dislodged uh, every time there's an election you see these people stuffing the ballot boxes uh, a few minutes before midnight they've been all over the news and it may be that we'll never have an honest election again but i don't want to get I don't want to get dragged down into that, Joe. We can we can remain pessimistic about the future and still enjoy our enthusiasms. Yeah, that's the thing. Is I tell people, uh, I love these characters the same way like, that I when I was discovering them on just reading about their bios and stories to the internet. You know, I I love this stuff. I, I really do. I I live for movies and TV and anime and all this stuff. I, I love it. It just I get a little angry sometimes when it's not good because I know what they can be at their peak. You know, right. people talk about Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series and Static Shock. Well, if you know that's what their peak is and you know that's how good they can be, settling for anything less is unacceptable in my opinion. You know, if I know how good they can be, 
Why am I settling for all this nonsense they're doing now? No, no. As fans, you should be like, no, I'm not accepting that. And we we're seeing that now with current entertainment where numbers are dwindling. So people are, because you know how, it, they, they, they're, they're like me and you. They're not like, we're not going to go out there and say our, our opinions, right? They're not going to do that, right? They're going to be like, you know, with, I'm not supporting this anymore. People are, are smart enough to know if I'm not going to support something, I'm just not going to go watch it, right? And numbers are dwindling. We're seeing this in this stuff. And hopefully that's going to put a fire under the creators that are doing this is, you know, asses to make good stuff again, you know? Joe, I got to go. Oh, you do? Oh, so the last two things I'll ask you quickly is I, uh, shout out to Pops. Uh, he, uh, put me, uh, he said, Hey, Mike's probably going to respond on Twitter, talk about it, uh, through, uh, Facebook actually. And I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Okay. And then, uh, I'll ask you this, any, uh, shout outs, you want to make to anybody in particular and anything else you want to say before we head out actually well pops is a great guy i wish him luck uh, i i hope that he gets back in the game real soon uh and uh as for me i uh the books i've read recently that have impressed me are, are cyber frog and uh and uh aaron lopresti's latest book and uh fiendish by uh Rini. Uh, and uh, Google Gobble by the Philbach brothers, which is a psychedelic explosion like nothing I've ever seen. Yes, sir. So, yeah, uh, you know, great to have you on, man. It was great to finally meet you, talk to you. Can't wait for you to, you know, come back again. You know, hopefully I didn't say anything too bad. Hopefully I didn't go off the rails too hard. You're a you perfect know. gentleman. Oh, God. Yeah, my wife doesn't say that. My wife just throws things at me. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to see you guys later. Have a great day, everyone. Peace out, everyone.